about every Sunday she walks out of here looking like that, saying that. Uh, but this morning we're, we're, we're uh, uh, going to continue in this series of things that Jesus said uh, in Scripture that kind of make you shake your head sometimes. Uh, we're going to close this series out next week. And then begin May with a, a new series going to take us into summer. And I am so pumped about summer here at Greenbar uh, Nazarene Church. You're going to be hearing more uh, in the days ahead about hands and feet in the heat, being the hands and feet of Jesus this summer. Our Wednesday night, uh, uh, Wednesday nights throughout the summer are going to look uh, considerably different as we come together as a family to serve not only the church, but people in our community. And so uh, keep your ears and eyes open for some exciting uh, plans to come for the summer. Uh, but if uh, this morning, what we've been doing in this series is, is basically we've been taking a look at maybe some of the more difficult teachings uh, of Jesus that he taught when he was here on this earth. We're looking at some things that they said that are hard to understand, uh, some things that he said that we may not like. Uh, or agree with some things that hopefully have made you think differently about who Jesus is and what your relationship with him uh, looks like in your own life. Uh, some of these things that Jesus said show us the real Jesus that sometimes doesn't line up with what we may have thought about Jesus before. Week one, we kind of introduced this at Easter as we saw uh, him uh, in the, the story of the, the young girl who had died and, and uh, he looked at the girl and he said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And uh, just an a awesome, awesome message out of that story that God gave us that day. Uh, the next week, uh, we, we saw the fact that Jesus said at one time he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring division. And that just kind of totally flies in the face of sometimes how we picture Jesus as this one to bring peace and love and all this, you know. But he said, you know, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I, I came to bring division. And we took a, an in-depth look at what he meant by that and, and what that means for us as the church. Uh, last week, uh, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, and that's a statement that a lot of people misunderstand and misrepresent and misquote from time to time. And so we looked at that. And, and here in the, in the 13th chapter of Mark, where, what we're going to find here is we see Jesus talking about the end times, the end of the world, the end of the age, uh, as some people refer to it. And, and we're not going to read it all today, but, but basically what he's doing is he's telling his disciples about some, some ominous things that are going to take place and that are going to happen uh, at the end of time. Uh, the sun's going to go dark. The moon's going to turn, you know, to blood. And then he says this in, in verse 32. So we're going to pick it up. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Jesus says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. And I want to stop there for just a second and say this. If you ever hear someone predict the end of time, or predict how the rapture, or, you know, when the rapture is going to take place, you automatically need to be reminded of this verse right here. No one knows, right? No one, no one knows. No one can figure it out. There's not a secret formula out there to be, you know, to gone through and analyze. No one knows, right? Not even the year, not the day, not the hour. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, Jesus says, nor the Son. He's speaking of himself, 
nor the Son, but only the Father knows. And when we look at this, we may get a little confused and go, you know, what, what's he saying here? Does, doesn't, you know, Jesus himself doesn't even know when he's coming back? I mean, he's the Son of God, right? How could the Son of God not know something? Because God is all-knowing. So how could the Son of God uh, not know something, especially something that, as important as when he's going to return back to the earth? I, I mean, uh, honestly, shouldn't he have that on his schedule? Huh? I, I mean, shouldn't he know exactly when that's going to be so that he doesn't double book something for that day, right? And, and so, and, and, and then, you know, does this mean also it kind of makes you begin to question what we believe and, and what we think about the Trinity, Right, the three and one, where you know the the three are one and the one is three, and it's the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all one. Well, I think first what we need to do today is realize here that this is not the only time that we also see Jesus with some limitations that have been placed upon him when he was here. For example, in Luke chapter two and verse fifty-two, it tells us that Jesus was increased in wisdom and stature. All right, now that's interesting to me because how, you know, first thing I'm thinking is how does Jesus increase in wisdom? How can the all-knowing God get any wiser, right? And then in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Jesus learned obedience, right? Jesus learned obedience, and, uh, which means that he had to be trained, in certain things. He had to learn certain things like you and I have had to learn. I suspect some of the things that he had to learn was potty training, right? I'm sure Jesus didn't just come right out of the womb potty trained. I'm sure there was some, some teaching and, and some training that had to go on along those lines. You know, I'm sure his mama had to tell him, you can't have candy before supper because it's going to ruin your appetite. I think there's some things that Jesus had to receive and as far as training and wisdom goes that, that we did. Uh, and so based on what we have in scriptures, there are some things that Jesus had to learn on earth just like you did and, and just like I did. But how can that be if he's God, right? How can that be? Because from the very beginning of, of Christianity, Christians have believed that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. All right, that's a that's hundred percent man and hundred percent God. It wasn't a fifty-fifty deal. But here's the deal: the fact that he was fully God did not take away from the fact that he was fully man, and because he was fully man, it did not take away from the fact that he was fully God. And maybe this will help. In order for Jesus to save you. In order for Jesus to save any of us, he had to be fully both of these things. Had he not been man, he couldn't have died for you, right? If he hadn't been man, he couldn't have died for you in, in your place. Had he not been God, he could have never defeated the power of sin and the power of the grave. He was both in the crucifixion. He was both fully man and fully God. And because he was both, during his life, we actually see both sides of that. As we study his life, think about it. Because he was the son of man, he could become hungry. But because he was the son of God, he fed 5,000 people. Because he was the son of man, he would be thirsty. But because he was the son of God, he could turn water into wine. Because he was the son of man, he became tired. And we see that he became weary at times. But because he was the son of God, he could raise people from the dead. Because he was the son of man, he didn't know the day or hour 
of his return. But because he was the Son of God, he promised that he would return in the clouds with great power and with glory. And so the reason that he didn't have this specific knowledge at this specific time was because he was a man. He was fully man. So, but, but what Jesus says next, I think, is even more challenging for us and more difficult. And it's what I really want to focus on today is when we pick it up here in verse number 33. Jesus continues on to say, he says, be on guard. He says, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge. And by the way, I want you to make the correlation here. He is the man going away, and we are the servants. Don't miss that. He says it's like the ma a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Verse 35, he says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. Be alert. Now, here's why this, I believe, is difficult for some people today, because in Scripture, we, it often reads throughout Scripture that this is something that would happen very soon. The disciples would speak to it in this manner, that it was something that was going to happen very soon. In fact, in this same chapter, if you skip, uh, look up to verse 30, uh, there before, Jesus says, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Okay, and so was Jesus wrong here? Because I, I'm pretty sure that this generation has passed away. There, there are none of them that are here today, and it's 2,000 years later after the fact, and it still hasn't happened. So was Jesus wrong here? I, I don't think so, because Jesus is never wrong. And I talk about this a lot, but we need to understand the context of what Jesus is talking about here in this passage of Scripture. We can't just take a passage of Scripture and pull it out of the Bible and fully understand and comprehend what it means. We've got to understand it within the context. And within the context of what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 13 is in the title right there above chapter 13 in your Bibles, and it's the destruction of the temple. And we see him address that in, in verse 2 here of chapter 13, it would be the trigger of what is to come in the last days. The Messiah would be killed, the temple would be destroyed, and God would begin to gather the Gentiles from all four corners of the world that we see referenced there in verse 27. And don't miss this. All of that took place in the year 70 A.D., okay? So it was in their lifetime. But it's clear that not all of these things have been completed. You see, they all began during this generation. It all took place, but it has not all yet been completed. For example, in verse 26, he's not yet come with power and glory. He's risen from the dead with power and glory. So it has begun, but it has not yet been completed. And that's important. So, so is there another reason that Jesus is telling us here in this passage of Scripture to be ready? Is there another reason that he would tell us that? 
to be ready, to be alert? Of course there is. It's because he wants us to live our lives in a constant state of readiness. He, he wants us to be watching. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to, to, to be looking for his return. In Matthew's uh, account of Jesus, Jesus goes on to give us a number of parables about this very topic that, that he's talking about here. And in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says that his return will be like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. You never know when a thief is coming, do you? You, you don't know when they're going to come. I mean, it would be incredible if thieves made appointments like the termite guy did. You know, and would call you a few weeks in advance and say, I I'm coming to your house to take away your termites at this particular time. You know, it, it would be awesome if, if they would do that. I mean, you know, do I need to lock my doors tonight? Do I need to turn my security system on tonight? You know, let me check my schedule. Oh, no, no burglars tonight. No burglaries are scheduled for today. But thieves don't operate like that, do they? They don't do that. So we should be ready. We should be prepared. We should be alert at all times. This is how the return of Jesus will be, Jesus said, coming like a thief in the night. At the moment that you least expect it. Jesus also shared the story in speaking about this. He shared the story of Noah uh, to those that were listening to him. He, you know, uh, he says, remember back to Noah's days? You know, God told Noah that he was going to destroy the world with a flood for Noah to build a boat, for Noah to preach and tell people that, you know, all this was coming and it, this was going to happen. But God waited 120 years before he actually did what he was going to say. And when Noah told the people about this the first time, you know, when Noah started building the boat, Noah started preaching and said that this was going to happen. I'm going to say that the people that were hearing his message for a little while, maybe a few months, were probably a little nervous about it, right? Because up to this point, Noah had always seemed like, you know, a pretty level-headed guy. Uh, he didn't seem like a crazy nut job. And so, you know, they're probably going, maybe there's something to this, what Noah is saying. Maybe we should stay close to the boat keep our nail apron handy we might want to help him build this you know but then after 10 years they probably were a little skeptical about Noah and thinking you know oh, Noah probably needs to be in a straight jacket instead of a pair of overalls building a boat and then think about it after 30 years they'd probably forgotten all about it what if 30 years ago someone had come along and said you know God said that He's going to destroy the earth with water and there's going to be a flood. Well, 30 years ago, you know, that might have made news. But now we wouldn't even remember who the person was that said that because so much time has passed. How could they possibly be right? How could they possibly be accurate? And that's exactly the way these people were, Jesus said. You know, after a certain amount of time, they're like, no, it's crazy. This isn't really going to happen. God didn't really say that. So they partied. They got drunk. And then it came like God said it would. And they all perished except for Noah and his family. And Jesus tells another story about this of the master who gave three of his servants large sums of money or talents. And he gave each to them uh, these talents. And, and two of them, they got busy. And man, they, they worked and they invested the money so that the master, when he returned, would, would have a good profit to show for the work that they've done. 
But the third guy, you know, he, he must have thought, well, you know what? He's, he's not going to come back anytime soon. He wouldn't have given this and then, you know, come back real quickly. And so I don't need to worry about that right now. And so he, he didn't do anything. He didn't invest it. He didn't do anything with it. But what happened in the story? Jesus said the master returned when the servant wasn't expecting him to return. He, he came back and the parable says that he cast the servant into outer darkness. And don't miss this, okay? All of Jesus' examples, all of his parables about this, they all make the exact same point. You are to live your life in a state of readiness as if he may return today. Okay, so, so what does that look like? Well, what does that look like to be ready? Well, now let me give you four things that will change in your life if uh, you are in a state of readiness for Jesus' return, the first thing is this. You will be spiritually alert, okay? You, you will be alert spiritually. Let me ask you this morning. How would you live differently today if you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight? How would your day change how would you live your life differently today if you knew that Jesus was going to come back tonight? When I was a kid, I don't know about y'all, but I was raised in a church where we had a preacher that was one of those, and y'all love this, right? Y all, y all, some of y'all love this, and it kind of depends on the color of your hair, I believe. But I, we had in, in our church what was called a hell and brimstone fire preacher right? He scared it out of you every week, right? There, there, wasn't, there wasn't our little week that went by that I didn't go to the altar because I never knew if I was saved or if I wasn't. And he would often end his messages with something very similar to what we're talking about today. And, and you know, he would, he, he would lean into it and say, are you ready? And I'd be like, I don't think I am. Boy, we, I mean, we had the carpet, we had the carpet wore out to the altar, and, and, you know, uh, so as a kid, I was always kind of freaked out about this. And anytime someone wasn't where they were supposed to be, when I thought they were supposed to be there, I thought I had missed the stinking rapture, right? And so I went around this scared little child all my life wondering if, you know, I was good enough, if I was going to make it or whatever. And, and, and even now, I often tell people, if you're wondering, ever wondering about, and you've all been in situations like this, don't tell me you haven't, but you kind of go, where did they go? You know, did, it, did the rapture happen? Oh my goodness, did I miss it? If you ever need to know if the rapture has taken place, call Lynette, my wife, all right? Because I promise you, of all the people in this world, she will not be here. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't tell them to call me because there's still days I have doubts, um, still have those doubts uh, from my childhood. But, you know, it always makes me just a little bit nervous when I can't get a hold of Lynette. She don't understand why I get so upset when she won't answer her phone or won't reply to a text message or even worse, to wake up in the middle of the night and she not be in the bed. Huh? Any of you ever experienced that? And you're like, oh, my goodness, I missed it. I bet her clothes are neatly folded right there where she was laying, you know. <laughs> And it's easy to joke about, you know, it, it's easy to, to, to joke about that now, but there's one thing that's not funny is that is going to happen to some folks someday. It, it's going to happen. And, and then it won't be a joke. And Jesus says, it's going to happen. Listen, uh, there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. All right, in the New Testament alone, there are 260 chapters within the New Testament. There are 318 references 
to the second coming of Jesus. One out of every 13 verses in the New Testament mentions the second coming. And for every prophecy that the Bible, uh, you know, has that address Jesus' first coming, there are eight more that speak to his second coming. We have this awesome holiday that you all know that I love called Christmas, and it's about Jesus' first coming. But the Bible speaks eight times as much more about his second coming. So, what if you knew today was the day that he was coming back? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it make you ask the question, am I ready for that? Am I ready? Am I living in a way today that I would be glad to see him tonight? Listen, it, it may be today. No one knows the hour. No one knows when it's going to be. It may be today. This may be your last chance to repent. This may be your last opportunity to witness to someone that doesn't know about Jesus Christ. The second thing that will change in your life if you're in a state of readiness for Jesus' return is your priorities. Your priorities will change. If you know the world is going to end and that it could be soon. Wouldn't that change your priorities? Most people's lives are consumed with what? Well, most people's lives are consumed with their professions. A lot of people's lives are consumed with their hobbies, their possessions, bucket list, vacations, and listen, don't misunderstand me. You, you know this. I'm not a guy who believes God never wants us to enjoy what we have. I'm, I'm not that guy. I don't believe that. I believe God wants us to enjoy what we have and enjoy this life. But I also know this. I preach a lot of funerals. And I know life is fragile. And I know it often comes when no one is expecting it to happen. Life is short, and so when the master returns, <laughs> you know, I, I want to have invested in what he has given me, the talents, what he has left us. I want to be sure that I've invested that in his kingdom and not to be found sitting on them and holding them and waiting and I'm afraid that there are going to be a lot of people that are going to hear God say, you know, I gave you an opportunity, I gave you resources, and you invested all that in yourself. You invested all of that into your kingdom, and you filled up your time with things that, that don't matter, and you knew, you knew, you knew that I was going to come back. You knew I was coming back. So why did you invest your life and what you had in me? Why, why, why did you invest that in your kingdom and, instead of mine? Listen, there, there's nothing wrong with a little R&R. &R. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. I love to fish. I think it's biblical. 
press me long enough and I can make Andy's biblical. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with R&R. There's nothing wrong with hobbies, nice things. But many people, they work just so that they can go on vacation. That's the, that's the end game. That is the reward is vacation. But, but I would argue that a disciple of Jesus Christ occasionally vacations so that he can do more work in the kingdom of God. In one of the parables Jesus told we saw earlier, and, th and this scares me, it, it does. He describes this guy who failed to invest what God had given him. He failed to invest the talent that the master had given him, and he was cast into outer darkness. And, and you know what that tells me when I read that? It is that there's a lot of people who fail to invest their lives in God's kingdom, and they're not really saved. Regardless of what they say they believe about Jesus, they've never invested what he has left them and given them into his kingdom. And, and so the question this morning is, are you investing your life? Are you investing the resources of your life that are God-given to you as if you are expecting him to return and to come back? I, I know this isn't popular preaching. You know, I, I know people prefer to go to church and hear these great uplifting messages. And, and, and I'm not here today to try to scare you. I'm, trying, I'm here today to kind of encourage you and to tell you we can't just pick and choose from the Bible what we want to hear on Sunday mornings. He's coming back. Are you living your life in a way that you are anxiously awaiting his return? Uh, the third thing that I believe that will change in your life if you're ready for his return is this. You'll have hope in your suffering. You will have hope in your suffering. Here in verse 26, Jesus says he's coming back in the clouds. Uh, a lot of people have this picture, or, or it will even say that Jesus is coming back through the clouds, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, I'm coming in them. I'm coming with them. I'm not coming through them. So why does this matter? Well, scholars, people that are much smarter than I am, say that what Jesus is talking about here, he means that in his return that he is bringing paradise back with him. He, he's bringing perfection back with him. He's coming in, in these beautiful clouds of power uh, and of glory. Uh, think about it. This world that we live in is full of sin, it's full of pain, and it's full of suffering, Right? It wasn't how it was originally created. Remember the Garden of Eden? Everything was perfect there before man messed it up and sinned. This world that we live in is full of pain and suffering as a result of sin. Man's sin, our sin, okay? Jesus' return promises that he's going to bring it all back to the way it's supposed to be right? And what Jesus is promising here is that the pain, the suffering, all of this is not going to last forever, all right? It's only temporary. The pain is only temporary. The suffering is only temporary. Listen, I can do endure anything if I know it's not going to last for very long, right? Uh, often Lynette and I have said, you know, I can do anything for a little while. As long as I can see the end game in sight, I can endure that. I can put up with that. I, I can take that, whatever it may be. I can endure anything if I know it's not that long. I can experience pain and, and look up and say, he's coming. <laughs> it may be today. It's not permanent. 
Your situation is, is not permanent. That's what Jesus is wanting us to know. It's only temporary. Don't miss this. The second coming of Jesus is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. If your loved one just died of cancer, if your marriage fell apart, if your body is in constant pain, lift up your eyes. It doesn't last forever, and it may be tonight. <laughs> Y'all wake. Have I scared y'all? I'm not trying to scare you yet. I'm going to do that at the end when I tell you, are you ready to come to the altar? All right, that's coming, so get ready for it. No, it's not. If your life hadn't turned out the way that you expected it to, to, to turn out, if your life hasn't turned out the way that you've planned, the promise of the second coming is your hope, right? The promise of the second coming shows us that, you know what? Grandpa and Grandma always said that the good, idea, the good old days were behind us. They were wrong. The good old days are ahead of us, right? If we believe in the second coming and, and we have our hope in that, they're ahead of us. And then the fourth and last thing that will change in your life as you're in a state of readiness uh, for Jesus' return is this, and it's the power to forgive. Believing in the return of Jesus gives you the power to forgive. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but when someone wrongs us, what do we want? Justice. <laughs> right? When someone does us wrong, when someone hurts us or one of our little precious children or somebody in our family, we want justice. So what do we do? Well, we run to the judgment seat of the world and we plop down in it like it's our seat to take, right? Like it's our place because we know of all people, we know what they've done. We know how bad that they've hurt us, and we know exactly what they deserve. So let me sit in the judgment seat and give them what's coming to them, all right? Because we know best. We know better. But here's the deal. We weren't meant for that seat. It's too big for us, right? It wasn't meant for us. And this knowledge of the second coming will, will help you stay out of that seat because we know this. When he's coming back, he will bring justice, okay? He'll make things right. He'll be the one that brings the justice and the judgment. So you and I, you know what? We can endure a little injustice right now. We, we can let some things go and we can endure uh, justice for the time being because when he comes back, he's going to set things right. So uh, if we're living in a state of readiness for his return and understanding what that means, we'll understand that he's the judge and the judge is coming, right? He's the judge, and he's coming, and so that will give us the power that we need not to be the judge, right? To know that he's coming, he'll make things right, he'll set it all right. It's not our place, it's not our responsibility, it's not our seat to set on. So there's four things I believe that will change in your life if you are in a state of readiness for Jesus to come back again, and we should be expecting it today. We should be expecting it today. And so that brings me to my last question that I want to ask you today. Do you yearn for his return? Are you anxiously anticipating his return, even if it were tonight? Are you anxiously awaiting Jesus coming back in the clouds? And I believe if I asked for a show of hands in church today, I know pretty much what the results would be. Every hand would go up. Yes, we're ready. We're anxious. We're yearning for 
his returning. But I believe if we're all honest today, most of us aren't really looking forward to it. Most of us aren't yearning for his return. And, and I know why, and I believe there are two main reasons why that happens today. Number one is because we are so at home in this world. We have become so comfortable in this place. I mean, we've spent so much of our lives trying to make life good right here. We've got a lot invested. We've poured a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this and what we have uh, right now. And so we don't find ourselves longing for something that we don't really understand. Right? We don't find ourselves longing and yearning for his return because we've got so much invested here. And if that's the case, we have invested in the wrong things. The, the, you are so quiet. The second reason is this. The, the thought of Jesus' return, I'm going to say honestly, if we're honest, it scares us a little. The thought of him coming back scares us a little. And that's well-founded, that feeling that, that some of you have, I believe, is well-founding because when he returns, an account has to be given for sin. And, you know, most of us don't feel entirely confident to stand before the judge because our human, you know, our human nature is that we know we're guilty. And so, you know, maybe you're here today and, and you feel like you haven't lived up to the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're here today and you don't even believe in the Ten Commandments. But here's one thing that I can speculate about you. You are scared of facing the judge of the world. You're scared to face the judge of the world because we know that we are guilty and that's why we're scared of facing God. Here in Mark chapter 13, when Jesus describes the judgment day, he uses some odd phrases here. He says, on that day, the sun will be darkened. Speaking of the judgment day. Now you flip over in Mark chapter 15 and we see the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and we read that this took place. This happened then, that darkness came down, utter darkness over the whole land when Jesus was crucified. Jesus says that on the day of his return, on this judgment day, if you will, that the earth will be shaken. Well, over in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that when Jesus died, what happened? The earth shook, the rocks split, and so when you read this chapter, Mark chapter 13, and the story of the crucifixion that we find in Mark chapter 15, what was happening at the crucifixion? Well, it almost sounds like judgment day, does it not? They sound eerily similar because it was. Jesus on the cross was the ultimate judgment day. He was judged in your place. 
He was judged in my place. And so that for those of us who receive him, for those of us who have accepted him, receive salvation and forgiveness, it, listen, all we have to look forward to is a reunion with God. All right? That's what we have to look forward to. We don't have to worry about being judged. All right? That's been taken care of. We don't have to be, worry about uh, being afraid over facing the judge because if we've accepted him, we won't face the judge. We're going to be reunited with our daddy. We're going to be reunited with our father. That's what we have to look forward to. Listen, Jesus faced the judge so that we wouldn't have to. He faced the judge so that you and I wouldn't have to. At Jesus' first coming, he didn't come to bring judgment. He came to take it. He came to take it upon himself. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus has done for, for you and me. Jesus, the great judge of the universe, came the first time not to bring judgment on the earth, but to take judgment in our place. And because of that, all that is left for us is not to be scared, not to be afraid. All that's left for us is not judgment. Our judgment's been taken care of. All that's left for us is mercy. All that's left for us is an intimate relationship with our Father. That's what we have when we have Jesus. That's what we have when we have a relationship with him. Uh, but to those who have not received him, to those who have not accepted him, to those who have not received this free gift of salvation, he's coming back. Make no mistake about it, and he will be the judge over those folks. He will be the judge over sin. And if you have not allowed him to forgive you of your sin, your sin will be judged. If you're saved, your sin has been covered. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? There's no reason to be scared if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be scared. Question is this, have you received him? And are you ready for his return? I'm, I'm not going to do you the way I was done as a child because I believe if somebody can scare it out of you, somebody else scare it back into you. But I'm going to give you something to wrestle with today to take home. If you knew that he was returning tonight, what would you do differently today? If you knew 11 o'clock tonight was his returning, how would that change your day? How would that change the way that you live your life today? I think we all need to go home and wrestle with that because it could be 11 o'clock tonight. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning. It could be any day. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm going to tell you this. If you have not received forgiveness from, for your sin and you're not living your life for Jesus and investing your life and the resources that he's gave it, given you for his kingdom, you might ought to be scared because that is exactly what Jesus is speaking here to today. The servant that did nothing was cast into outer darkness. And that's a fact. And that's how it will be. And so I just want to leave that with you today. Are you ready? Are you yearning for his return? Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us enough today to uh, just be blunt with us. 
because we need that. And it's awesome to come to church and hear these awesome messages about your love, your mercy, your grace. And, and just, you know, there's so much in scripture that makes us feel so good. And often we walk out of here and we're on a mountaintop thinking about how good our God is. But God, I thank you that uh, you love us enough to be brutally honest with us. And some days uh, your word is like it's cutting us open. It's like we're going into surgery. And, and really, that's exactly what's taking place because you want to remove the cancer from our life, the cancer that is sin in our lives. And so that's not always pleasant. That's not always something that we even planned. But God, it's something that you do and want to do. And so we understand that sometimes your word cuts. Sometimes your word is not pleasant. And this is one of those times. And, and God, again, I, I thank you so much that you loved us enough that you made a provision that we don't have to live our lives in fear or being scared of what's to come. Because if we have a relationship with you, we, we, the best is yet to come, and we've got that to look forward to. But I know that in a crowd this size, there are some people that are a little nervous about what they've heard today. And so I pray today would be a time that people would just be obedient, that they would understand, hey, it may have been 2,000 years but your promise is still that you're coming back and these things are going to happen and these things are going to take place. And so we need to be aware of that and it could be tonight. So what would we do differently today? Who would we forgive? Who would we reach out to? How would our lives change today if we knew that you were going to come back tonight? Thank you for giving us that question to wrestle with. I pray that you'll find us faithful and obedient to the answer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I love you guys so much.